What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of Till Good Game Do Us Part. I am your lovely host, Troy, and I will be discussing with you this week's news in esports and gaming. Now, before I get into that, I do realize that last week, or I think two weeks ago, I totally forgot forgot to discuss Offset Joining Phase and Gamescom. I don't know how I forgot Gamescom. Gamecom, Gamescom is essentially the EU version of E3 to showcase video games, new demos, and things like that, right? I only got to watch a little bit of it here and there because I was watching um, watching from work. But I want to talk about Dead Strand, Death Stranded. Or is it Dead Stranded? Uh, the new Hero Kojima game, right? Now, from what they showcased at Gamescom, which I take with a grain of salt because the demos that they showcase, they're always polished out demos that, you know, hey, focus on this part of the game. Let's make it look super impeccable and, you know, super great for everyone to love and enjoy it and say how great it is. But, and I don't know if the public is aware of this, but because that demo is, you know, hammered out so hard and it looks really great that's not always the final product of the game so it kind of what the demo is to show you is what they they intend the game to be like and look like and to showcase the functionality of the game right now some people don't take this with that grain of salt and so they're disappointed when the game is released and that's my worry when it comes to Death Stranded it's a really really weird game story wise like I feel like every time we get a trailer for it no one ever knows what's going on not even Kojima right and this game is getting a lot of hype and that's the thing that I want to be skeptical about right because people always ask me you know why don't you pre-order or buy day one it's because I want to see how the game does and if the game will be worth it in the sense of what's the replayability can I come back to it does the story make me want to learn more about the lore and I think that this game is getting super super hyped because of the backstory um with Kojima leaving, uh, was it Square Enix? No, it's not Square Enix. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on who, who was doing Metal Gear. But essentially, the fact that he left, you know, the the Fox team that was doing Metal Gear, and you know, went and started his own studio. I think the the hype behind that story is what is getting people hyped for this game, and that's not to take away any credit from the game you know, visual appeal or what it will do, uh, behavior and functional wise. I'm talking solely about the hype and excitement for the game. People are excited for the game. People are excited for every game, but I feel like there's an overhype for this because of the backstory. And I don't, and I don't want that, the hype of the backstory to be the downfall of the game 
Like, I don't want people to go in with these expectations that this game is going to be phenomenal and out of this world before we even get a hands-on with it. Because that's a big problem with we see things behind closed doors or in a limited view or limited light. And from there, we, you know, we get disappointed with the games and then we think it's this, you know, this great new shiny thing. And it turns out, you know, Hey, I've, I've, I've played this before or Hey, this wasn't done well or the care wasn't put into it. And I'm just tired of seeing that, but that's what I wanted to get in. And that was going to be like my gamescom, uh, rant when I spoke about gamescom, but totally forgot the other topic of offset joining phase. That was just some news. I was going to dive into it when it, when it came out, but I totally forgot to mention it on here. Um, I, I, I don't mind it. Again, I'm always happy to see new faces want to invest in esports, especially when it's people of color. But it was more of like the thing that threw me off was that it's phase. And I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about phase or to some extent that I'm like skeptical about what phase is. And this is all Tifu stuff aside. It's just really. I'm trying to wrap my brain around what phase clan is and what phase clan represents and what they bring to this space. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is that makes me skeptical about phase. But again, I'm happy to see people of color investing into um, esports. I want I hope. I, I really hope to see them do more other than just invest. Like I want to see them almost to the level of like Rick Fox. I don't think Offset will be anywhere close to the, um, you know, day-to-day operations or any type of that management. It's literally like, I feel like just an investment for him. And then that investment came off as, hey, Offset joins FaZe, which I guess you can say he joined it, but essentially he invested in them. But yeah, those are two topics that I kind of missed uh, or that I definitely missed last week that I just wanted to make sure that I covered this week, even if it was briefly. So let's get into this past week's news. So last week we discussed um, the speculation that Overwatch could be coming to the Nintendo Switch, and that was based off of an Overwatch designed Switch case being leaked onto, I think it was Amazon, um, for people to purchase. And then it was later taken down. Well, this week, there's been speculation coming from 4chan, and it was like some leaked images of potentially Diva coming, you know, being the next, one of the next characters that are released for Smash Ultimate. Um, This was these were screenshots captured saying, you know, that that wrong fortune and in the screenshot, you can see a message that says uh, next character for like Smash Ultimate or one of the characters for Smash Ultimate that are like going to be released will have a mech. And, you know, people started speculating, Okay, they just had the Overwatch case get leaked. They took that down and then now we're getting this news of, hey, this character is coming to smash and they have a mech. 
any so that means it could potentially be diva right my thing is where is this i guess soul passion and feel of overwatch needing to be in smash um and then on top of that how far beyond just the characters being in smash does does the blizzard nintendo connection go um so this is what the actual image of the or the screenshot says of the leak right it says new smash character reveal female character she's not a demanded character and will disappoint and confuse a lot of people the same person that posted this and it was anonymous came back and said I was going to leave things as messed up as they were, but I simply can't. Your new female rep has a mech. I told you, you will be confused. So that's gotten people thinking, okay, so it has to be D.Va. Again, we see the Overwatch thing. And then this person is saying, hey, they have a mech. It'll be disappointing. And it'll confuse you. So based on that speculation, if it were Diva, right, it would make sense because it would be like, okay, well, I'm confused because what do Blizzard and Nintendo have up their sleeve aside from just putting characters in the Smash and maybe potentially bringing Overwatch to the Switch? I get that would be probably the pinnacle of that news, in my opinion. So. Would Diva being in Smash Ultimate be that first step or the first step in the reveal of, hey, Overwatch is potentially coming to Switch? Now, I don't own a Switch, so this isn't that big of a deal to me, but I think it is a big deal if Nintendo and Blizzard are working behind closed doors together. Um, even if that me- even if that's just solely about bringing Overwatch to the Switch, because then that kind of puts... I consider the Nintendo Switch a mobile device, even though you can hook it up and dock it and play it at home. I consider it a mobile device. So then it made me feel like, okay, and I think this is something Henry and I discussed. It might have potentially been off the podcast. I'm not sure if we talked about it last week, but what does that mean for mobile esports and potentially what does that mean for mobile Overwatch esports? Could we put could we potentially be seeing some type of Overwatch competitive competitively being played on a Nintendo Switch? And in what capacity will those tournaments be held? I don't think they'd start a new entire league for it, but I think there would definitely be people on the Switch who would want to be able to compete in some type of tournament. Um on their switch that's one way to promote it a lot of again a lot of companies are using esports now as their promotion front for a game so what better way than to get some type of competitive tournament going for nintendo switch players if overwatch were to come right now does overwatch blizzard or nintendo need that no if overwatch came to the switch it'd sell itself on its own but having that backing which to some extent from nintendo that super smash doesn't have 
if if Blizzard is coming to the Switch, or excuse me, Overwatch is coming to the Switch, they now have the backing and support of Blizzard without necessarily um, forcing Nintendo to be the acting party, in which they kind of like kind of like saying with like Smash, like how Nintendo doesn't support it. If if Blizzards are the one, you know, it's their title, they're more likely to back it. So we could see some competitive scene in it, not just being like a, hey, Nintendo and Nintendo saying, hey, you know, this is not a fighting game because, again, they don't own Overwatch. So that's not something that they could necessarily stop. Now, they could sanction it in some way because it's their hardware, but I don't see them doing it. But moving on from Overwatch and potential diva coming to Smash Ultimate. Um, Kellogg's. The brands of Kellogg's Pringles and Cheez-Its have decided to sponsor slash partner with the Overwatch League. Now, this is kind of coming off the back of um, Pringles sponsoring the uh, LEC, the European uh, League of Legends Championship League, right? So it shows that people who we've seen in the space, you know, kind of before, I kind of throw like any of like those junk food type brand things that we've seen in esports like Hot Pockets, Dr. Pepper. Like this isn't new, but it's interesting to see that Kellogg's is going in with the Overwatch League, even if it just means Pringles and Cheez-Its, um, because that means they're what what it looks like to me is they're taking a risk with their smaller brand to see like, OK, will this boost sales like how how will this market of esports boost up these these brands? Because honestly, in my opinion, I don't think Cheez-Its and Pringles are the strongest Kellogg's brands. They're familiar, which is why it works. But as far as the strongest, no. The weakest, no. But it's in the perfect space where it shows like, hey, we can take the risk with this and it not being hindered in any way. And only showing us like the true numbers and metric of will this work for us on our bigger brands because then if it does work in the capacity and it does meet their expectations we're gonna see them bring in brands a lot stronger and bigger than bringles a lot more of their cereal brands possibly as well um maybe even other dessert brands if they have it but i definitely see if these if these brands do well within that space than bringing more top dollar brands to it right and it's always a good thing for overwatch to their league to uh expand and to have these new sponsorships and that's going to bring me to a point later in regards to blizzards and the sponsorships from those looking outside right and actually we can kind of get to that now because this next topic leads into that, that exact thing, which is 
Nate Shot confirms that 100 Thieves will not be competing in the CDL, I guess you could say formerly known as CWL, pretty much the Call of Duty League or the Call of Duty Franchise League, right? Now, we said, I don't know if Henry was in agreement with me, but on last podcast, I definitely said that Nate Shot will not be Nate Shot and 100 Thieves will not be in the COD. He put out a, a video through his Twitter or on his Twitter, um, bringing light to this and, you know, saying exactly why 100 Thieves would not be in the new Call of Duty franchise league. Part of my speculation was correct or my prediction was correct, which is he doesn't want to move into this space of a franchise league run by Blizzard because his branding loses its identity, much like many of the teams that enter the Overwatch League, while they're still owned by, you know, the familiar esports brand that we know and love, they had to brand differently for this league and potentially because they knew it was going um, geolocation-based, so they had to make the names accordingly, right? City-based names and things like that. San Francisco, Shock, Vancouver Titans, you you know, Outlaws, Protect, you know, all that, right? Nateshot was very aware that, hey, joining any type of franchise league with Blizzard means potentially losing our, um, our brand, right? And I could always tell with Nate Shot that that was giving up his brand was not ideal. Altering or changing what 100 Thieves stands for and represents was not ideal. And I felt like based off that fact alone that I knew Nate Shot was connected and 100% all in on 100 Thieves, the brand, I could not see him going to the Call of Duty League without losing his brand. Now, if it were like, hey, you can stay 100 Thieves, blah, 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 do I think I really up my chances of them getting into the Call of Duty League to about maybe a 60-40, maybe 50-50, right? But off the back of knowing that Blizzard is not allowing 100 Thieves to keep their branding, that was, for me, an 100% like we're not going into the space, right? And this was coming off the back of him saying, hey, I, I'm optimistic. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic about Call of Duty League. Now, in the video, he discusses some other things about how, you know, 100 Thieves only isn't an esports team or esports org. You know, there's more to it than that. And how investing into the Call of Duty League would be you know, cost a lot of overhead in regards to, um, management and staffing. Um, there's a lot of money that would have to go into logistics for it to be possible. And he pretty much said like, Hey, we, we, we're a startup. We don't have that much money. Um, we're still figuring this out and us trying to come a hundred percent commit and involve ourselves in this franchise league would essentially bleed us dry and, not only would we be losing our branding, but essentially be 
on the verge of collapsing and getting rid of other things. Like, I think they had already dropped like their Apex team or they dropped some, one of the rosters for a game, right? And I think a lot of orgs should drop their, if they still have an Apex team, they should drop them because Apex is not, for me, there's still nothing showing that Apex is this strong esports competitor or that people want it to be or that even EA or Respawn want it to be. Um, but yeah, on, on top of that, Nature dropping that roster. And there were a few other things that he mentioned in the video. Um, but the, the biggest ones were essentially the branding and the fact that they don't have money. Um, the, yeah, the, of course, they make sales from their, their gear. But the fact that it's not a constant always in stock and it's like a limited edition, I can't see them going positive that much. But we also got to think about the fact that a lot of these East orgs now are trying to become these entertainment focused uh, focused studios or type branding. So it's like you got to think about on top of that, like 100 Thieves just invested into this new headquarters or they're investing into a new headquarters. And yeah, they have the backing from uh, Dan Gilbert and Drake and Scooter Braun and people like that. But those guys have only invested X amount of money. Now, do I think that if they really wanted to stick around and be in the Call of Duty League, they could have? I think 100 Thieves has enough leverage and the investors that are in it know and would be willing to put up that money to get them in and then kind of pay for it on, you know, on the back end still in regards to whatever logistics needs to be covered. But I think it's the fact that Nate shot himself was already skeptical of the league knows that, Hey, we're probably not going to make that much money from it. Let's not even put a risk on, you know, potentially collapsing. And this is bringing me back to my earlier, my earlier point is that, Blizzard has already essentially did what they need to do to capitalize on this franchising. They've gotten the sponsors, the big name sponsors, the big name brands coming in, right? On top of that, they're already charging millions of dollars for these slots for, for, you know, for these teams to compete in their franchise. So you're saying, Hey, pay us for this slot only, only for the slot to compete in this this you know tournament or this uh league right cool boom x amount of teams do that they get up you know 20 million each right they're good on top of that they're getting money from the sponsors and that which i'm i, I don't know because i've never seen these contracts so i don't know how much of that sponsor money is going back to the orgs and back to the teams but the fact that they're going through blizzard Blizzard is essentially taking advantage, capitalizing on the fact that, hey, we know that there's a market and scene for these guys to play competitively. And this has not been seen by the outside world. When I say the outside world, I mean those outside of competitive gaming and just the gaming industry. So you have companies that want to come within the space see that it's, you know, hey, I heard it's new and popping over here. Like, this is the cool thing, right? 
This is where everyone's spending their money. Cool. So then they come invest their money into all these spaces or in the esports space and they think they're going to have an immediate return on investment which is not really ever the case within this industry um and and it, and it just looks really bad because so many people are doing it and it's so obvious that the companies that are coming into this I guess I, I guess a lot of people, the wording people use are non-endemic. Um, they come up in the space and it's like, hey, like I'm cool. Like it's it, it's cool to see like, hey, we want to put money behind this, but it's not because you genuinely care. And I get that that's business. Business isn't meant to care. Business is for making money. But it sucks as a made a big fan and someone who's so passionate that it's like these brands that you want to see come in and and back the thing that you love they're only doing it because they think it's going to be this revenue cash cow because they've been told hey it's the most popular thing and these are the number of people playing it and it's a whole data game data game right but i think blizzard is already at the point where they're good like they don't need these teams to necessarily say like hey like we're backing out because we can't afford it because blizzard knows okay cool you can't afford it one of these other guys will step in and take the spot. Someone else will come up with the funds or the money to get within get in this franchise. Now, for Call of Duty, I don't know. With Overwatch, yeah, I, was, I think they were confident enough to say, like, it's cool. We'll have other people that want to get into it. With COD, I don't think I, I don't think they're skeptical, but I think it's. They're still OK with people saying it, but like they're not really losing much, right? Because someone's, again, someone's going to buy in. They're going to see the amount and say, you know, well, this is an opportunity to get in, establish our, our, you know, backing or whatever you want to call it to be within this space. And even then, they still have the teams who might not have Call of Duty rosters or were never really invested in COD and say, hey, you know, there's some slots open, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to fill this out so that we can get the season started. Cool. Blizzard might then go to those same teams in the Overwatch League and say, hey, you know what? Because we haven't been able to fill this franchise out, what if we say you buy a slot in for X amount, like less? They have that on the table, especially with those guys that are currently in the owners of like the uh, Overwatch teams. They had first dibs on if they even get a roster slot, right? Not the amount of money. I think the amount of money was slightly different. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they had first dibs. But anyway, back to, I guess, the original point of all this is Nature just pretty much came out and said, hey, like, we don't have the money for it. And if we do this, we're going to bleed dry. And this will be the collapse of 100 Thieves. He was very upset. You could see it in his face. You could hear it in his voice. But I think he knew deep down it's the best decision. And with COD's numbers dwindling, and I say dwindling in the sense of like, not that no one watches it, but the fact that when there are certain brands playing certain people or certain orgs playing certain orgs, the viewership goes up. Everyone in the COD scene knows this and they they're even aware to address it and say like, hey, our numbers don't look great. But when certain teams play, everyone shows up and shows out for it. 
which will work for Call of Duty grassroots, you know, opens and anyone can be a part of it. It doesn't work in a franchise because you kill the identity of what who that or used to be. Now, you know, on top of like a roster change. And the thing that's kind of slightly weird to me is I've seen a lot of COD people or kind of a lot of COD fans, I should say, say, hey, we're not really invested in COD, the game itself. We're invested in these brands that we love to see play against each other. So it's like COD is kind of like the, I guess, the catalyst where it's like, hey, this could be any game, but I want to represent this brand. And it's because it's COD. It's something I love. I'm willing to support them within. Um, I'm willing to support them. So now that those those legacy teams and orgs are being essentially tossed out or tossed to the side because they've already killed off Optic. Or or Optic was already bought out. Right. So you essentially killed off Optic Gaming. Now, 100 Thieves are not going to be in the Call of Duty League, and we still have yet to hear anything from FaZe. Like, if FaZe will even say, hey, it's worth it. Now, FaZe would 100% buy the slot, and they, I, I think they'd be good, right, financially-wise, because of how big their branding is, but it still probably wouldn't make too much sense for them because Optic wouldn't be the same, and... 100 Thieves wouldn't be there. And it wouldn't be phase, you know, Call of Duty phase. It would be something completely rebranded, right? An extension of that line extension of what phase is and represents. I don't know if the fans would, the fans of phase or Call of Duty will be willing to accept that, you know, line extension they know that it's from phase but again it's not phase right but with with uh, 100 thieves not being in call of duty nate shot did tweet out and say that he's super excited to move within the csgo space which makes sense that's the right step right hey we're not going to be in call of duty let's go you know start forming talent and form a team and the next most popular and I don't I'm not saying CSGO is the next most popular like compared to Call of Duty but hey you know the way this ecosystem works there's no one franchising it blah blah you know what I'm saying like we can keep 100 thieves let's go right there and essentially do what we're already trying to do minus having to pay the 20 mil so I'm looking forward to seeing 100 thieves move into um CSGO, I'm looking to see who, who their roster build, builds out with, and then on top of that, how they actually perform, and if these, the rivalries and history of, you know, FaZe versus 100 Thieves, or 100 Thieves versus Optic, per se, how that transitions into CSGO, right? And I think it'll be based on whoever their roster is, and just like, that player history and chemistry, and out of the news, Telltale Games is coming back. They were bought out and essentially reissued the uh, select back catalog in new installments, right? 
So what that means is hopefully the guys over at Telltales won't be in crunch, you know, like the way that they were before when they got when they got closed down or shut down. But that means that we now have narrative storytelling games back, you know, the ones that everyone loves, episodic uh, narrative storytelling. That's essentially what we're getting back with the revive of Telltale Games. I think if they are not pushed into crunch the way they were before, Telltale will last around a lot longer because they're really good at what they do. Making narrative episodic games, regardless of what it is, what story, game, movie, book that they're basing it off, they do it really well. And I don't see those games going anywhere because whatever they're basing the game off, if you're a fan of that, you're already invested. They know that you're already invested into these characters, this story, you know, this, this, whatever the intellectual property is you're invested in it so not necessarily worried about making you know game of the year or would it be cool to get that of course but i don't think that's what they're worried about but i am happy to see that telltale games is coming back and there are a few telltale games that i need to download in my steam library like back to the future and play through but yeah um the the people that purchase telltale games they are LCG Entertainment. They're essentially a holding company. Um, they will be doing that. That will be doing business with Telltale Games um, as they purchased the defunct studio, meaning that Telltale's was no more, and they bought it and they're reviving it. While Telltale is being revived, the Gaming and music festival by the name of Metarama has been canceled. I had not heard one thing about this music festival that was supposed to be hosted out in uh, Las Vegas. But to me, it's hilarious that it got canceled. And here's why. The names that they had on the, the, the flyers worked. But this is the thing about esports and and streaming and the gaming industry, right? Those names don't necessarily bring people out. The names that were on that list are not, and it, this is no this is no slight to them. This is just how the space works. Those names aren't bringing people to this, you know, to fly out to to Vegas to go see them on some stage and do all these things. And this outdoor, no. What sells people is the gathering and the opportunity to be around what, whether it be competitive gaming or a host of games such as like E3 or PAX, right? Going to, and this is the thing that they try to do, they tried to mesh fans of music festivals with fans of streaming and esports now can you be a fan of both of course right but the reason that music festivals work is because 
everyone who's going to the music festival is a fan of music. Now, do they have particular artists that they want to hear? Of course, but they're most likely a fan of music and they're able to discover other music at the festival that they may have never heard of. Right. That's why I enjoy going to music festivals. Gaming festivals were, you know, I dream hack, um, PAX, you know, PAX East, E3, Gamescom. The reason things like this, these work is because people are fans of games and they know, hey, this particular game I'm not interested in, but there might be something there for me to go see and enjoy. You're trying to mesh the two. And the thing is, is like you don't have like a a diverse group of music. It's essentially focused around EDM. Now, anyone who's ever been to a dream hack knows that having an EDM concert go on around any type of gaming event, whether you be streaming from the PC zone, trying to listen to the music like it just doesn't work. You don't you don't put on a concert the same time you say you have people streaming and, and playing and competing for money. Another thing is, is who the fuck wants to pay? To go to Vegas to watch people sit on a stage, right, and stream. And then say, oh, yeah, well, you have the opportunity to play with them. Yeah, I also have opportunity to play with them by subbing to their their Twitch channel, right? Do I have more of a chance? Mm, Who knows? But I still have a chance. You want me to fly out to Vegas to watch Ninja be on a a stage and and stream and play against people that are at the event you want me to go to vegas and watch pokemon stream from a stage when i can do that from home no no that doesn't work magfest works to an extent like they have a turnout like i'm not saying this this con or festival wouldn't have any type of turnout but they canceled it because they didn't they still had tickets sold. I think they went into this thinking like, oh, OK, we're going to announce all these names and it's going to set out sell out immediately. That's not the point. That's not then that's not how it works. Again, for example, like I, I said, I haven't had I hadn't heard anything about this festival until I saw something come across and say, hey, it was canceled. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I see why it got canceled. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I say that people of this space or non-endemic of this space come in. And they think what works outside of gaming will 100% apply within. And that's, again, it's rarely ever the case. That's the reason why when I had a conversation with a friend, you know, he asked me, he said, if esports were to die today, the industry of esports were to die to get today, how would publishers market games? And I, I might have said this on the podcast before, but how do you how do you how do you market a game without esports now? It's damn near impossible because if it's not if it's not the major selling point it's one of them and you and and they use it 
you know, whether that be showing a competitive trailer or just the fact that you could PvP. Esports is selling video games now. Streaming is selling video games now. Without that, how do you go back to marketing video games to people, right? And I think that's something that the industry needs to go back to is how do we how do we sell to these people? I understand the technology is changing, cool. But how do we sell and market to the people that are actually fans of this? Because what's happening is we're falling we're all following to this trap we're all falling into this trap of this is cool because someone said it was cool. This is cool because everyone's interacting with it. That's what's making it cool. So they're not sure, and I'm and I'm saying this with so much confidence that I'm sure that to some extent publishers don't know how to market without esports anymore. And that's why this gaming festival tickets weren't sold well and why they can't end up canceling it because they didn't know who they were trying to bring or what that market who has the money to spend that, you know, to bring. Because again, look at look at look at the people that were named. If you see if you if you see the concert for festival or fly or whatever, you see the names that are on it, and you're like, okay, who is gonna spend money to go see these people in Vegas, right? I think it was in October. Like, who's gonna go spend that? It's just it's first year annual things came out of nowhere. It's not really built from the ground up. Who's gonna go to that? And I think that whoever might have been backing this were told false numbers and thought, okay, this will sell out instantly. And speaking of like false numbers, right? Nuzu partnered with Ninjas in Pajamas. Yeah, the same Ninjas in Pajamas that we've heard that has had management problems or problems paying their players, right? The legendary ninjas in pajamas I don't like the fact that because now I think Nuzu does a great job with getting numbers and data out about esports and you know being the lead of that but sometimes I think they skew those numbers in favor of something right we to the public can only get a taste of that because you have to pay Nuzu for for uh more in detail data but I think they skew the numbers and don't get me wrong most places probably do skew numbers in a way to make it look better for the public eye right but the important thing is is that uh, Ninjas and Benjamins are partnering with them which means they now have an upper hand of knowing what spaces to be in marketing wise and how their marketing is being affected over, you know, controversy over their team performance, all this, all these things that essentially any org can pay for. Um, but having that partner with NIP really helps. And I'm a big fan of people not reporting their own numbers because they'll lie and they'll skew them. 
Now, because they're partnered with Nip, does that mean that they might skew them in their favor? Time will tell. Only time will tell. Um, but I think it's really interesting. And I want to say congratulations to NIP. Hopefully this sponsorship can help them, you know, bring in some maybe better management so that they that way their their on books numbers won't be skewed and people won't be getting accused of stealing money and then going on vacation. Um, but yeah, that that's the uh, the news in regards to Nuzu partnering with uh, Ninjas in Pajamas. And the, I guess the headlining big news topic of previous week was Ninja signing a deal with Adidas. This is a uh, multi-year deal that currently has no apparel or type of product on sale. Now they did show and announce the, you know, they, they took some pictures and post them out on Twitter of what Ninja's, I guess, first product would be, which is like a hoodie with the, the Ninja logo on the back. And then on the forearm sleeves, it says, uh, end time. And, and one of them says, uh, Ninja, but I don't think they're currently on sale. I think they are being shipped out with, uh, you know, like the little care packages that they do for like influencer, like influencer care packages. So a lot of people have been posting those on Twitter and I think Instagram as well. Um, so if you want to check those out, just go to like whoever your favorite influencer is, Courage, any of those guys, um, big streamers, and see if they got like one of the Ninja Care packages. But it's it's exciting to see. Now, some people are speculating and saying, hey, you know, could this signing of Ninja with Adidas have been something that uh, swayed him into leaving Twitch and, and Microsoft having some part in it? If they did, hell of a smart business plan. Um, and it just goes to show that like Microsoft is willing to help those out and get people in a space that are willing to help them out, right? But I speculated this, that Ninja was going to do something with Adidas or something was going on with him in Adidas. The moment that he announced that he was going to Mixer or they put out that they, um, the tweet of him walking on stage and going to Mixer, right? And here's what made me speculate that literally just based on the fact that he's wearing an Adidas hoodie. Now, some people will be like, well, he's just wearing an Adidas hoodie. Why would that matter? Now, if you look closely at the picture, you would be, you would begin to question and say, okay, does Mixer have any type of apparel? Because if so, and you're announcing you're announcing that Ninja is moving to Mixer, essentially the biggest name in gaming, and now representing, you know, essentially you're taking the face of Twitch and saying, hey, you're now the face of Mixer. If that's the case, why wouldn't he have any type of Mixer apparel on during that announcement? Why is he wearing an Adidas hoodie to showcase to millions of people, hey, I'm leaving Twitch and going to Mixer? Now, was there some type of deal already settled when he announced this? Probably not. Could have been getting finalized. 
But was he in talks with Adidas? 100%. 100%. Why, again, why would he be wearing an Adidas hoodie during the biggest announcement of his life? The biggest career move, and he's wearing an Adidas hoodie, and no one at Mixer, th- and this is the thing, these companies are too smart for that. No one at Mixer thought, hey, Ninja should be wearing some type of Mixer apparel. Now it's cool. Just let him come out with his Adidas hoodie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Or if that and I'm going with that first theory that he was already in talks with Adidas. But Adidas also could have came to them after and said, hey, we saw you wearing our hoodie during the biggest announcement of your life. You know, boom, people are at, you know, just question just the fact that it was an Adidas thing. Adidas saw and was like, hey, this dude's massive. We know we're aware who he is. Let's sign him. I don't think it was after. I think that that conversation came beforehand. And um, yeah, that like, honestly, that's just my speculation is that I think he was already in talks with Adidas prior to making the announcement that he was signing with them. And prior to the announcement of him moving to Mixer, I think he was already in the talks with Adidas. Um, I'm interested to see where else his products go. Um, in regards to this, hopefully we don't see anything super ridiculous and stupid like performance sneakers because esports doesn't need that and it doesn't really help. I would like to just see him stick with like branding apparel of things. Now, if that means like making a shoe by all means, but don't try to be like K-Swiss and come out and say like, oh, it's a, it's a, um, performance, you know, interchangeable shoe that you can slide on or don't don't do that because you sound nuts and you look ridiculous just stick to the apparel and you'll be fine because again what why would you need a performance shoe if you're sitting i don't think many esports require you to be active so sitting and saying hey you have a performance shoe doesn't make too much sense now it hasn't been said again, it's a multi-year deal, but it hasn't been said um, in, in regards to what, how many years, you know, I would assume that is probably no more than two to three because again, it was Ninja being as big as he is, but these companies not being stupid. They know that essentially you could probably fall off and that there are other people waiting, other streamers waiting to take that spot or to be signed, right? So I would assume that it'd probably be the same length as his mixer deal. Probably no more than two, three years, four at max. Yeah, that's 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 the only thing that is in the news. Ninja still doing big ninja things and uh, getting getting money. So with that being said guys i'm out of here i know this episode might have been either really short or kind of all over the place but it just needed to get recorded and put out hope you guys enjoyed it thank you for listening um i love and appreciate you guys and as always until good game do its part i'll catch you guys on the next episode